worship at the end tonight, and uh, I just want to get into the study. Got a lot to to read and share and stuff, and so <clears throat> I figured let's just do the study first, see how far I get, and then uh, and then we'll just close it up with some worship. How's that sound? Okay. And so, if you are familiar with the chapter we're going to be in, if you were here last week, you know that we finished 1 Samuel 16, and so we are getting into 1 Samuel 17, and if you know what 1 Samuel 17 is all about, then you must be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Now, it's interesting because it is one of the favorite stories when it comes to Sunday school classes, you know? Um, I, I think most of the time, you know, it has to do with, you know, just facing the, the giants in your life and, and things like that. And, and we will cover that for the most part. But there's a lot to this story of David and Goliath. I, I, I was thinking, it, it's kind of interesting with Sunday school, you know, they, they give you a coloring sheet or coloring paper. And, and when, when, when it comes to the story of David and Goliath, you see this 30-foot giant, you know, and this kid that that's just like wee big like this, and it's just this massive picture, and he's like ready, and, and Goliath looks like a crazy monster and stuff, and and you just have this guy with the slingshot, or you get the other picture of <clears throat> of, of the giant already down, and, and Goliath or, or David is kind of standing close to the giant or over the giant is this big old massive mountain of a man on the floor. But but what you never see is that one coloring page, and they very rarely ever give it out, is where where David has Goliath's head. And he's just kind of walking with it. And I can just picture the little kids going, Teacher, can we have some more red color? Because there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of blood. You know, and, and, and yet when you start looking at this picture, you know, it's kind of a gory kind of picture, but, um, but in, that, in, in that last portion of, of David cutting the giant's head off, it, it's, it's like full victory status, you know? That's where the victory has actually been won at the end, you know, because there's been battles throughout that whole story, and yet at the end is, is where, you know, true victory comes. But even through, through that whole story, there's victories for David throughout and we'll touch on them, but anyways, let's just let's just start reading in first uh, or in First Samuel chapter seventeen. Uh, we'll break periodically, and then I'll try to comment on these things, and then we'll move on from there. So it says, now the Philistines gathered their armies together in battle or to battle, and were gathered in Soka, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soka and Azekah in Ephesdemim. And uh, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on one on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. His height was six cubits cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. 
and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a, a bronze armor. He had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the iron spearhead weighed about 600 shekels. And the spear and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants to serve us. And the Philistines and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's just stop there for, for a time. <clears throat> At the time that this story takes place, the Philistines are and they have been the enemies of the children of Israel. They've already done some battle and they will do some battle afterwards. And King Saul has already had to deal with uh, the Philistines and he will have to do it again. And it's interesting to me because, you know, throughout the time of before this story, we never hear about this champion guy. But, but now, maybe it was just the region that they were at or how they were all kind of gathering together because sometimes the, the Philistines had a garrison here or a garrison there. And, and maybe they were all gathering together and the battle is set in the Valley of Allah. And the Valley of Allah is about 18, uh, 15 to 18 miles west of Bethlehem, where David's family was from. And it's about the same distance, but it's more southwest of Ramah, where Samuel is from. And so it's kind of set to, to the west. Now, again, I, I encourage you guys always, man, go on, go on the internet because you'll see tons of pictures. And, and when you go on and look at the Valley of Allah, um, you, you start seeing this picture of these, these hills, you know. They might call them mountains, they're hills to us, basically. And, and what I pictured in my mind as I'm seeing it, it's not as green, but bear with me. I pictured like Wild Horse Canyon right here, right as you're driving up the 138, and there's a mountain here, the 138, and then it goes down to a valley, and then a little mountain right there. Well, it's more of a flat side right there, but kind of picture that in your mind, a lot greener, of course. Um, and, and, and you see this valley. And when you go on these pictures, it's interesting because they start putting, like, this is where they were at, this is where they were at, this is the valley, this is the creek, this is what, you know, all this stuff. So you get a better picture of, uh, of the Valley of Allah. And so here they are, they're opposite each other. They're not far away from each other. They're far, far enough like that little valley that we have in Wild Horse Canyon right there to where they can shout out, you know, without the traffic going through. They can shout out and hear each other and, and hear what they are saying. And so this particular battle, in it, the Philistines roll out their big guns, man. They roll out the champion, the undisputed champion, 
who has never lost a battle in his life. Because this guy is huge, man, and he's coming out to fight. And he has probably fought a lot of times, or maybe he hasn't fought a lot, because they just run from him. But here this guy comes out, and he is just huge. He, he, is, he is by far the heavyweight champion of the world. When it tells us who this guy is, he is a giant. Goliath is a giant. He is not 30 feet tall as you would see in the pictures. He is not. He is about 9'7 to about 9'9. Now, the other day I'm in here and I'm measuring whereabouts like the edge of that, that uh, ceiling is. And it's about 9'10 from, from the floor up to there. Jim, stand up. Let's see how tall you are. Okay, that, how tall are you? About 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, 6'6", yeah, six, six, right. Okay, you can sit down, liar. Um, <laughs> For the record, he is not 5'10". Okay, so he is 5'10", and that is about 9'10 up there. So take a, a few inches away. That's how big this guy is. He is huge. You know, as, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, okay, who are the giants? That we, and, and the first guy that comes to mind is Andre the Giant. You know, if you guys have ever seen Andre the Giant in The Princess Bride, one of his best films ever... Um, you see this guy, and he is huge. You know, they make him out to look even bigger in there, but he is just huge anyways because he stands at, at about 7'4", uh, and he's huge. And you see that, that in, there's a wrestling part where the guy jumps on his back, and you see his head about that big to where the other head is small, you know. So, so he's big. And, and, and Andre the Giant, I was looking him up, he weighed over 500 pounds, okay, he was 500 pounds. Now, if you're into basketball and you know who Shaquille O'Neal is, he's another big guy. But he's only 7'1". And probably in his heyday, he was probably like right around 300. He's probably a little bit more by now. Um, but he's over 300 pounds. So that's a big, big man. So can you imagine a man that's about six or nine seven nine nine? Weighing probably well over 500 pounds, getting close to about 600 and then it says that he has this coat of mail that's about 125 pounds. He has brass on his legs, so I'm sure that weighs a little bit. And he, he has this, this spear that weighs 15 pounds, and he is able to chuck it like no problemo, right? The, the, the weaver's beam, you know, I, I was looking at, at you know, the, the loots, you know, the looms, you know, where they weave. And they throw that thing through and like that. And it's usually about a two by two, maybe a little smaller. But he, his is, his is a, a spear. So it's about a two by two with about a 15 pound spear. And this guy could probably chuck it a good ways. And I'm thinking, how much did this guy weigh? How big was he? And so we're looking at this and just kind of giving you all of that so you can put things in perspective. And so they tell us about the armor and all that kind of stuff. And so this champion comes out, and he has been given authority by his higher-ups, or lower-downs, but uh, everybody looks up to him. But he is given authority to challenge his enemy. He's given a, a authority to challenge the children of Israel and to say, hey, if, if we kill you, or if you kill the guy that sends out, then you become our slaves. But if you can kill me, then we'll become your slaves, your servants. And so it's almost like, Really do. Like to, to, to them, it's like we've never lost a battle with him. 
They've lost other battles when he wasn't there. But with him, he says, one-on-one, mano-a-mano, we'll kill each other like God intended, man, with, with our hands, basically, or, you know, spears. But anyways, and so, so he has been, been able to do this, and he has probably, and they probably had all these, these servants because nobody was able to beat this guy. And so losers became the other man's servants. But he comes out and he defies the armies of Israel. And that word defy means to pull off. To pull off, literally by implication, to expose by stripping. In other words, just stripping them all down. He, he, it also means to blaspheme, to rail, to reproach, to upbraid. And so he is just coming at them. He is stripping them down, cursing them out, and he is shredding them to pieces. That's what he is doing as he comes out to defy the armies of Israel. And so he comes out, challenges them. He says, hey, if there's one of you, come out and fight with me. And then, and then it says that in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This, this, this word dismay means to prostrate, prostrate, hence to break down, either literally by violence or figuratively by confusion and fear. It means to abolish a fright, to make afraid, amaze, beat down, discourage, cause to dismay, go down, scared, and terrified. That's, that's who the, the children of Israel are at this point. This one man, this one man is, is doing this to the army of Israel. And it's coming from the top down here. Because not even Saul, the king, is willing to go out there. Now remember, King Saul, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. If he was in the high six footers, like, like Jim over there, or like you know seven foot because he was above everybody, he still doesn't want to go up against this, this giant of a man. And so if he doesn't want to go do it, and his commanders aren't willing to go and say, well, we'll do this. Somebody's got to fight this guy. What makes them think that anybody else in the, in the army is going to say, I'll do it? If they see that, that their own king and their commanders are all dismayed and greatly afraid, they, they, they are scared about this whole kind of thing. And so, so there's no kind of courage going on in the nation of Israel or in that thing. And this is what fear can do to someone. Fear, fear it, it shows us our limitations. And sometimes that's a good thing. That fear, you know, it's like, no, I, this is as far as I can do this. So, you know, sometimes fear can be a, a good motivator not to do something crazy, right? But fear can also paralyze. And fear that paralyzes can and will, the, will bring us into bondage and keep us from overcoming. Because, again, in the situation that we're looking at here today or this evening, Fear had gripped all their hearts and nobody was going to go up against Goliath. Up to this point, Goliath had already beat them. He had already beat them down, basically. 
They were, they were already stripped of, of any courage they might have had. He's already beat them. He, he, psychologically, he's already gotten into their head and messed with them in such a way that they're, they're, they're dismayed. They can't even think straight. They can't even fathom how they could beat this guy. And he, he messes with them continually as he trash talks towards them. And so they're not like even wanting to go anything. And so fear, this fear has paralyzed the, 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 Israel, the, the armies of Israel here. Now, granted, he is a formidable foe, to say the least. But they had already become his servants, in a sense, in that they were not, they were not free to take ground. They were at a standstill, as we'll, as we'll read in a little bit. They, 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 they had no, no courage to, to even move forward with anything with this guy. And so he had already defeated them psychologically and, and, and in every other way, man. They, they were just done. And that, that's what fear can do. It paralyzes us to where we don't want to move forward. We don't want to take ground. We don't want to take the risk because we're afraid. We see what's before us. It's like, I can't do it. I won't do it. And so in verse 12, it says, Now David was the son of the if." Ephrathite, Ephrathite from Ephraim, of, ben, of Bethlehem, Judah. Um, he was the son of, this, of Jesse, and he had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The name of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shema. David was the youngest, and the three older oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. And so back at the ranch, it kind of like now David, after telling us about this whole story of what's going on in the battlefield, it's almost like, well, let's go back to the home front and see what's kind of happening back over there. We get a little glimpse that David, you know, is, is at home at this point. And, and, and you have Jesse, who is old, his dad, he's advanced in, year, in years. It tells us here that he has the eight sons, and three of them have gone and joined Saul. It's quite possible that they had been drafted to this, but it's quite possible that they really wanted to serve with Saul. And we are reminded once again that David was the youngest. He was the least of all of them, the least thought of, if anything. And so it sounds like he is still serving Saul. As we saw last week, he was the, his personal harp player. And whether he was in the palace or on the battlefield, at times he, would, he, he had the freedom to go home and help his dad. And it's quite possible that, that up until this time, he hadn't gone to this battlefield because this, the scenario that's going on here, this had been going on for 40 days and David hadn't reacted to it at the time. So it's quite possible that he hadn't been there uh, for this time. But it says that the Philistine, Goliath, had drew near. He had come out 
And he had gone, um, he had gone out there 40 days, twice a day. That's 80 times that Goliath had defied, or def- yeah, defied the armies of Israel. It was almost like clockwork on a regular routine. He would come out in the morning and then he would come out at the evening. And it's probably, you know, and, and I'm picturing this big beast of a man just kicking back in this easy chair and going, is it time to go out there? Yep, it's time I got to go out there and defy them, come back and then, you know, rest and do whatever he wants to do. And then in the evening is like, well, I'm going to go out there again because nothing's happening. These guys are just, it's 40 days that all this has been going on. And, and so nothing has happened here. I would bet that he just kind of wore people down, his enemies down, and they just never would fight him, so they just would flee and leave. And so, well, another victory. They didn't become our servants. But we're not fighting anymore because I choose them on, and they run from me. And so verse 17, it says, Then Jesse said to, um, to his son David, Take now for your, brother, for your brothers an ephah of this dry grain, and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went to as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and the shout and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it was, and it shall be, that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride 
and your insolence of, of your heart and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Back in that time, for the most part, families were, were responsible for their, their sons and their fathers um, that were out in the battlefield. And so whenever they could, they would send supplies, not only for their, for their family, but they'd send some extra for not just the, the, those who are higher ups, but for the troops as well. And so the, the supplies were constantly coming in as much as they could to take care of these people. And so here we have this, this I guess, fighting, and I lose, use that word loosely. <laughs> um, here they are fighting for at least 40 days. This has been going on for at least 40 days. It says that they're fighting with the Philistines in verse 19. It's like fighting. They're, they're, just, they're just coming against each other. They're, they're, they're showing themselves to one another, but nothing's really happening because this guy says something, and then they get scared and they run away. And so they go out and they, they, they shout and they, they have these battle cries and stuff, but nothing is really, really happening. And so David goes out there. Um, this must have been the 40th day. And doing this twice a day, this was the 80th time, basically, that Goliath had got up one more time to go do the same thing. And it says that this time David heard it. David heard it. He got there and he heard this. And I think for David, the worst part of it was what he saw. Not only what he heard, because that one really got to him, but what he saw in the army. I'm sure he just felt like, are you guys kidding me? Nobody's going to stand up to this guy. I've been told that he's been doing this week in and week out. And nobody has stood up to this guy. So you can imagine, because his brothers are, are part of this army, that he, that he hears what this guy says, and then he sees the army flee. He sees that these guys have no courage. They have fear that, 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 that is dwelling within them, and they are not even willing to put up a fight. And I'm thinking, for 40 days, they're just as, as afraid of this guy as they were the first day. Because here we are, all these weeks later, and they are still afraid of this guy. And nothing has happened. And so here, when, when, when I look at this, it's like not even one is willing. Not, not one. And th this fear was such a crippling fear that, that it wasn't only crippling, but it was contagious. And fear can do that to people. Because somebody's going, well, I want to, but I'm not going to do it by myself. It's like, well, no, you got to step out. It's like, no, if I don't have other people with me, then I'm not going to do it. So it cripples you, and what happens is nobody else wants to move, and so it becomes contagious. It's like, well, nobody's going to fight. Nobody's going to stand up. And this often happens in our lives when, when there's situations that we're facing that, that are before us, and it's like, no, we're crippled by, by moving forward because we're afraid. We're afraid that, that it's not going to work out, it's not going to turn out. And so none of these guys wanted to step forward throughout the whole army. It doesn't tell us how many people there were, how many men they had at this army. 
But it had been going on for 40 days and not one man was willing to do it. And it's interesting because as, as David hears this, he starts asking around, what the heck is going on around here? What, what, what is happening here? And they begin to explain to him, hey, there's, there's a reward if anybody wants to do this. And this reward doesn't even motivate them. I'm sure if they were single, they're going, well, heck, I might get a girl out of this <laughs> if I win, but I'll probably die. So I'm not even going to take the chance. You would think that they're going, well, there's going to be riches involved. Man, you know what? It's not worth it. And, and, and last of all, it's like, man, you're going to be tax exempt for your, the rest of your life. You would think that somebody would have jumped on that one at least because they would have been taken care of basically. None of those things motivated these men. And it's interesting because David turns around and he asks the question as far as what, what is he going to do for, for the person that does this? And, and I think, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind as I'm reading that, going, I don't know if he was interested. Maybe he was interested in the girl. I don't know. Maybe he was interested in the riches. Maybe the taxes. Done. But I thought, no, you know what? It almost sounds like he's being sarcastic here. Asking the question, what, what is he going to give? We, we, who, who is this guy? Who is this uncircumcised guy? Who is this heathen? Who is this man that is defying the, the, the army of the living God? And up to this point, God had not even been mentioned among them. He was talking about the, the armies of Israel, which belongs to God, but nobody had mentioned the living God. And David gets here and says, wait a minute, this is the living God's army. How is it that nobody has the courage, nobody has the faith, nobody has the understanding that God has the power to defeat this man? I don't care how big he is, he's a man. Why is it that nobody has trusted that God would see us through? Well, fear grips people. And fear often kind of, kind of just debilitates somebody. And it's like we, we can't even function. It's like, see, faith, it, it, it functions with, with, with seeing beyond what's, what's, what's be, before you. But see, their fear has not let them see beyond what God can do. And David's the one that brings this up to say, wait a minute, you're not even the king, no, no, nobody? Who is this guy? Who is this uncircumcised heathen, basically, is what he's saying. None of them were willing to fight and take away the reproach the, the, the shame, the, the disgrace of Israel, they were just letting it happen. This, this reproach, this defying that was coming from this, this man wasn't so much against Israel, David looked at. It was against God. And so to him, it's like, no, nobody's going to do that. Not on my watch. Here's a kid. Most believe that he's still probably under 18 at this time because he's not in the army that he's probably still in his teenage years. And he says, no, man, he is defying the armies of the living God. And so fear had held these guys back, but David comes on the scene, and you can't even sense a hint of fear in this kid. And I'm sure they're probably thinking, oh, David, because his brothers, man, they come after him. It's like, David, come on. What are you even here for, David? Why don't you go back and play with your little sheep, man? 
And it's interesting because I don't think it was a, a few sheep. It was probably a lot, but I think his brother was just trying to put him in his place. And it's interesting because David is ready to fight and battle this giant, this man, and yet he has another battle before he even gets to that battle, and that's battling his family. Because now his own family is saying, hey, you're too scrawny, you're too dumb, get out of here. And he's probably looking at them going, but you're a coward, you're a coward, you're a coward. All of you guys are cowards. I can't believe that none of you guys are standing up and, and, and fighting this, this Philistine who's defying my God, our God, the God of Israel. And yet it just seems like his brother is, is, is just pushing him away going, you're just a busybody. I know your pride. You're presumptuous. You think God can do everything, right? And he's going, no, I know God can do everything. He says, I know your, your insolence of heart, your naughtiness, your evil, your, your deceit is what that word means. And, and I thought, well, okay, maybe they've seen that side of David. <laughs> but what they haven't seen is the boldness that he has in his God for some reason. Or, or they're just thinking, you think God can do everything. This is, this is a real guy, David. You've never fought a war like this. You don't quite comprehend what we're having to deal with. And so I think his brothers were trying to discredit him and put him down, but I truly don't believe that they understood his heart or the trust that he had in the living God. And it's interesting because he says in, in, verse, in verse 29, what have I done now? And being the youngest, I'm sure he said that like every day. He was probably in trouble with his brothers every day. It's like, now what did I do? Jeez, just because I feel like God knows what I can do and not how, what I can do in God, you guys are always putting me down. What did I do this time? And he says, is there not a cause? Is there, is there not a cause? And in other translations, it, it, it might say, instead of is there not a cause, why uh, was it not a harmless question? Can I even speak? It was only a question. But I do like the way the, the, the New King James puts, puts it. It's like, is there not a cause? You see, the cause was back in verse 26 when he says, this guy has defied God. He's uncircumcised. He's a heathen. And that's the cause for me because he's coming against our God. And you guys don't even have the guts to stand up to this man. And so as he turns from his brother in the verse 30, and he talks to these other guys, they're telling them the same thing. So he's just like, well, forget it. But it's interesting because you get into verse 31. He says, now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by the beard, by its beard and struck it and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both a lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like though the, like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. So he clothed, he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened, the, fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Whatever David did say, (laughs) whatever he did say, somehow some of the guys are going, this guy's legit. (laughs) This guy really believes that this guy's nothing. He he really understands that, that he can go and win this battle. See, something like like faith can be contagious also. When somebody stands up and says, no, I know what God has done because I've seen him do it in the past. See, he begins to share with with these guys to tell them, no, I've, I've seen God do this. I've seen him deliver us from all kinds of things. And so whatever he had said, they said, you know what, we need to go tell Saul about this kid. And so he goes and tells him and can you can you just kind of picture this whole little scenario going on david again six something almost seven feet or or, uh, saul big man he's the king and they bring this this young man and again they probably were familiar with each other because he had played the harp harp with them and he says this let no man's heart fail Because of him, your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And I can imagine now as I was picturing this, I'm picturing Saul going, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then going, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. You can't do this. I'm looking down at you. I have to look up to this guy, but I'm looking down at you, and you're telling me you can go do this? Wait a minute. You can't. You can't go do this. So now he hadn't even gone and fought Goliath, but he's already had a battle with his brothers. Now he has a battle with the king because the king's going, I doubt it. Man, you're you're cute and all, (laughs) but I don't think you can do it because you're a youth. And this guy, he's been fighting since he was a youth, man. He's going to break you in pieces. And then he begins to say, man, I, I have fought bears and lions or lions and bears. I have fought those things. And not only that, I've beat them. I've killed them. I've, I've, I've hurt them to where, with my own hands to where I've killed them. And I'm wondering if his brothers can hear it going, there he goes again with that story. Really? It never gets old for you, huh, David? You know, but I'm, I'm thinking, but you're a coward. You would never do that. You would never. You, you'd let the sheep go. It's just another little sheep. But David wasn't like that. Not only did he have courage, but he had faith. (laughs) And he was willing to stand up even to animals and and knew that God would protect him from all that. And so somehow, because of all this stuff, (laughs) 
the king looks at him and says, okay, you got it. It's interesting. It's like that's what courage looks like. Somebody who's willing to say, I'll die. I don't care. You just give me the authority to go out there. I'll kill this guy. You don't even have to worry about it because I'm not even worried about it. That's what faith looks like. I'm not worried about it. I'm not scared. I'm not fearful like everybody else. I'm ready to go and fight. And so after fighting this little battle and sharing his bravery with this man, with this king, David was entrusted to go out. But he says, here, put, put my armor on you. <laughs> and so you can see this armor that fits Saul getting put on this young man like David, and it looks like those little kids that wear their dad's clothes. And they're walking. It's like, oh, it looks so cute. But you can't run or you can't fight in this. And David's going, it's not mine. You know, and, and, and when I think about that whole thing, it's like, man, you cannot use somebody else's armor in your life. It just doesn't fit right. God has given you faith. You use your faith. You don't, you, you, just because somebody else has bigger faith or whatever, it's like, you know what, that's not your faith. You use the faith that God has given you. And so, so he says, here, try my faith on. It's like, it doesn't work for me. You might fight this way, but I don't fight this way. I'm good enough without this kind of armor, without any of this, so I will move on. And so in verse 40, it says, Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you and take your head from you. <laughs> and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the, feet of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the, the Lord does not save with sword or, and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet him that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David took his hand, uh, put in his hand um, in, in his bag and took a stone 
and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into the forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in, his ha- in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of the sheath and killed him and, put, and took off his head with it and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gate of Ekron. And they wounded the Philistines, and the wounded Philistines uh, fell along the, the road of Shiaram, even as far as Gath and Ekron. So much for the treaty that they had made, that if I kill you, you become my servant. If you kill me... We will be your servants. It's like, no, they hightailed it out of there. But it's interesting here that, that as we look at this whole scenario taking place, David goes to the brook that's there, that's still there to this day, that has all kinds of smooth rocks. I remember going there in Israel, and everybody's picking up five rocks. You know, putting them. It's like, oh, man. But da- you know, people say, well, if David has so much faith, man, how come he had to pick up four, five rocks? Well, later on, it tells us that Goliath had four brothers. So he just figured, well, if those cats come after me, I'll kill them all. (laughs) So he wasn't picking up five rocks because he was afraid. He knew that one of them had Goliath's name, and the other ones would have their names too. And so the the, the scenario takes place that, that here he comes out, and he says he looks around. He's probably going, so who is he? Where is he? And it's this young man. (laughs) And it's like, no, you're kidding me. You, you're coming out to fight with me. And I love the fact that David, man, he is just so bold. He, he is not afraid to speak to this guy. And this guy says, well, I'm just going to tear you apart and the, the birds and the beasts are going to take care of you. And this guy is still trash talking because he's got, this is what I'm going to do to you. And David, when he, when he begins to talk to him, he begins to prophesy or to say, this is what I will do to you. This is what's going to happen to you. And you know what came to mind? Some of you older people will remember. Uh, was it Billy Jack? When he tells him, I'm going to take this foot right here. And I'm going to hit you right there. And the guy's going, bam! You know, it's like, done. It's like, this is what I'm going to do to you. And everybody's going to know. Because I'm not only going to kill you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your head off. And the whole army is going to be scattered. And they're going to they're gonna be all over the place and all the carcasses are going to be. And so he's telling them, this is what's going to happen to you. And so can you imagine Goliath going, you're kidding me. Is this like a comic thing, a comic relief? Because this is never going to happen. And so when he begins to draw near, Goliath probably saw something that he had never saw in all his battles, somebody running towards him. And he just, bam, and just flings it. Now, we were having this kind of little debate at the men's conference or the men's retreat. Was it the, the, the stone that, that hit him, that killed him? Or was it when he fell and the sword hit him, you know, cut his head off? When did he? It's like, I don't know, because it kind of tells us both little things. This is what I do know. God took care of it. 
whether it was by the stone or it was the sword. But God was going to take care of the fear that these guys were facing by a young man who had no fear. You see, oftentimes we do have those Goliaths in our lives. And oftentimes we don't even want to face him. We, 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 we get afraid every time he rears his ugly head. We, 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 we are crippled. We are, we are paralyzed. All those things happen in our lives until we're able to stand up in the name of the Lord. It, when, when we understand that he is on our side, he fights our battles for us. He can take care of anything that is before us. But oftentimes, because we can only look at the image, we can't look beyond, we, we become paralyzed, we become scared, we become fearful in so many different areas, and there's never a victory in our life. And David, David had no fear. He understood. Why? Because he had seen God work in times past with animals that, that were bigger and badder than he was, but he saw that God was even faithful to take care of him through those times. And I can guarantee you in your life, because I know that you, you fear things that, that are before you, you can go back in, in history in your short life and, and see how God has carried you through. And it's interesting because we forget that sometimes. It's not that we're to live in the past, but we're to remember the things that God has done and will continue to do. And see, David, David had no fear. He understood that. He understood that it, whether it's an animal or, or a man, God is bigger than all of that. And so all I need is what he has already equipped me with, this talent to, to use a sling because he had to use it oftentimes against wolves and other animals. I'm sure he did. So he knew the ability that God had given him. And that's how he was entrusting in the ability. He just knew, God, you've, you've made me good at this. I don't need to go fight this guy with somebody else's battle or, or armor. I don't have to be somebody I'm not against this person. All I have to do is be who God has made me to be and stand in that and have that kind of confidence, not in yourself, but in God, that God is able to do those kinds of things in our lives. And so when we walk in the simplicity of that, because when you look at David's life right now in this picture, there, there's nothing fancy about him. Very simple, very practical. He knew what he could do. He knew his limitations, <laughs> But he knew God's limitations. This uncircumcised heathen, what is he to God? Nothing. So he was able to go and, and conquer him. It says in verse 53, When the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put his armor, Goliath's armor, in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then, Dave, then, as David returned from the slaughter to, of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the guy from Bethlehem. It's not that David, it's not that Saul didn't know who David was because he would play the harp for him. 
He's not asking him, who are you? He's asking, who's your, who's your dad? <laughs> have I met this man before? He might have forgotten the dad. He hadn't forgotten David. And he might have been asking, who, who are you? Because it's your family that's going to be exempt here from taxes. So I need to know who, who, who it's going to be. And so David humbly comes with him with the head. I can't imagine the size of this head. It must have weighed 50 to 75 pounds at least. Man, it's like, hey, you want to hold this for a while? That guy, big old dent in his cranium. But he humbly just comes to him. This is who I am. My dad's so-and-so. And so he, he, is, going, he, he is going to get the, the girl. The riches, I'm sure, came. His dad was exempt. But that, that's not why he did this. He did this because God's name was being defiled. He did this because everybody else had fear. And he was showing the whole army of Israel what courage looks like. Not just courage, but what faith looks like in trusting the living God. And guys, I don't know what, what Goliaths might be in your life, you know? What, 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 what giants are before you? I don't know. And I, I know I've been in those places where, man, you just fear. And it just kind of cripples you. And you end up getting to a place where you're going, Lord, I can't. I, I, got, I got to get up and I got to move. And see, that's when you get back into your word and you realize stories like this are just as real today in our lives. That, 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 that there are times when we have to stand up when nobody else is standing up. When, 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 when we have to move forward and run towards a situation, not in arrogance, not in pride, not in any of those things, but in the courage of who God is. And say, no, I won't be afraid. David wrote in the Psalms, what, what can man do to me? He understood that. Man can only do so much, and that's about it. But he wasn't even afraid to die. I don't think he had one inkling that he would die that day. He knew what God was going to do on his behalf. And guys, that's what we need to trust in each and every day. Because each and every day we have to face fears because they're there all, all the time. But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power and of a sound mind that's what that's what he's given to us and so that's what we need to walk in amen let's pray and we're gonna um we're gonna worship and you know i don't, I don't know what you're going through right now i don't know what you're battling with you know the songs that are going to be sung you know just focus on the lord and just allow him to minister to your hearts towards the end uh, i'm sure we'll have somebody up here ready to pray with you and stuff and so just Again, they're going to make themselves available. And if you just need prayer for anything, just come up, get prayer. But let's just worship right now because we get to serve the God of Israel, the one that went to battle for them day in and day out, you know. And he is the living God, and he needs to be the living God in your heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together, Lord. To be able to read through this chapter, Lord God, and just kind of glean what fear can do in people's hearts, Lord God, but what, what faith also does in someone who trusts in you, Lord. Father, even though we might get discouraged from those around us, even our own family, from those in authority that would, would try to tell us that we can't, 
Lord, I pray for wisdom. I pray for strength in each and every one of our lives, Lord. That we would always be dictated by faith, Lord, not by fear. And when fear rears its ugly head, Lord, that we might be able to have confidence that you have seen us through in the past and you will see us through in the future, Lord. And so help us to trust you in that. Blessed be your name, for you are worthy to be praised. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship, guys.